Well, we're in a series called Doomsday, How the World Will End. And uh, I've really been in trouble in both services at any time. So you know why we're doing this series. We're doing this series to remind ourselves that this world is going to end. Our life is going to end. And only we do what we do for Christ is going to have any eternal impact. But also, our culture is very interested in this idea of the end of the world right now. And so we need to equip ourselves to be able to speak from a biblical perspective. So that when we're talking about the end of the world, we say, well, you know, here's what the Bible says about the end of the world. Would you like to know what the Bible says? And many times they will want to know that. And so that's why we're doing this. Last week, we discovered that to understand when the world will end, we have to keep our eyes on Israel because it's all about God's relationship with Israel. We looked at, in depth last week, the prophet Daniel. And I don't have time to go through everything in detail again, but uh, Daniel was an amazing prophet of God, and he wrote an Old Testament book that bears his name, the book of Daniel. That book is the equivalent in the Old Testament of the book of the Revelation in the New Testament. God used Daniel, God used John in Revelation to talk about how the world is going to end. And we saw that Daniel, who has been elevated to a position of power in the first the Babylonian Empire, then the Persian Empire, because Persia captured, cap, uh, what did they do? They defeated Babylonia. Boy, this is the third service, I'm getting old. But anyhow, so he's in captivity, but he's been elevated, kind of like Joseph was in Egypt, to a very exalted position. And at this point of his life, we find him praying for his people, Israel. And he's praying that God will fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah, that this time of captivity would only last for 70 years, then God would return his favor to the Jewish people and bring them back to their homeland. And he's praying, God, will you still do that? While he's praying, God sends an angel to him named Gabriel. And Gabriel says in Daniel 9, verse 20, Daniel, I now have come to give you insight and understanding. He says, I know what you're praying about. God's heard your prayer about the 70 years, but I'm going to give you insight that goes a lot farther than 70 years. I'm going to tell you about how God is going to use Israel leading to the end of the world. So that's what he's talking about. Daniel 9.24, we saw last week, he said, 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness, to steal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, that's not a chronological list. It doesn't say this, 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 and this. It's just all those things. And so we know that whatever these 77s are yet, it hasn't been fulfilled because is there still sin in the world? Yeah, because so there's not an end to sin. Do we live in this, this euphoria of everlasting righteousness? We only do the right thing all the time. Does anybody live there? Man, I want to camp out with you if you do. Has God ceased to work in the lives and hearts and minds and souls of men and women? Has prophecy and revelation been sealed up? Do we still need to come to church? Yeah. And so none of these things are accomplished yet. But the angel says, all right, Daniel, it's going to be 77s until all this comes to fruition. Now, we learned last week that the 77s are actually 70 groupings of seven years. So he's talking about 490 years will pass until all this happens. The angel goes on to say in verse 25, no one understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. All right, so he says, here's when the clock's going to start on these 77s, Daniel. When a proclamation is made, 
to begin to rebuild Jerusalem, that's when the clock starts ticking on these 77s. Now, we know that Artaxerxes later offered a proclamation to rebuild Jerusalem at the end of those 70 years of captivity. And so that happens. In fact, there were seven sevens, and there were 62 sevens that followed that declaration, that proclamation to begin to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one come. Who's the anointed one? The Messiah. Some of your translations would even say the Messiah until Jesus came. And we saw last week that's exactly what happened. 483 years had passed until Jesus was on the scene. Now, that accounts for 483 years of the 490 years. But what about the final seven years? What happened? Well, Daniel, again, the angel tells Daniel, Daniel 9.26. says, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus came, after those 483 years, did Israel embrace him as their Messiah? Did they? No, they didn't. What did they do? They crucified him under Rome. They, they convinced Pilate to crucify him, so he was cut off. Now, unbeknownst to Daniel, that created a gap in those 77s. They weren't going to be consistent 490 years. Now, there's a gap. There's a stop because Israel rejected Messiah. That's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Jesus said, if only you would have embraced me, if only you would have received me as your Messiah and known the peace that I could bring to you as a nation. But since you did not, God now is going to chastise you. So God stops the clock at this point. Paul talks about it later in his letter to the Romans, in Romans 11, chapter 25. He says, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. In other words, God stopped the clock on Israel. And God, instead of using Israel in the way he designed to use Israel, and that was to live such an amazing lifestyle and, and to be so devoted to God, Jehovah, that the other people from pagan religions on earth would see God's blessing on their nation and would want to be part of God's family. Now, Israel rejected Messiah, so God has transferred that responsibility to the Gentiles, to you and to me, to the church. But it's only for a certain length of time. Said so when that full time has come, God's going to stop the time of the Gentiles and he's going to restart the clock with Israel. So at some point in time, God's going to restart this prophetic clock and finish those final seven years of the 77s. These final seven years will mark the beginning of the end, as we'll discover. Now, how are we going to know when these years start? Well, we're going to know. Because these years are going to be characterized by destruction and suffering like the world has never known before. Not going to miss it. Going to know it when this starts up. Jesus said this about those last seven years. In those days, had, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. John writes about it in Revelation chapter 9, verse 6, he said, during those days, men, men will seek death. They're going to want to die. And many will. But many others who want to die won't be able to die. Now, three important signs. This is all new now. That was all review. You ready to go? Three important signs will signify the restarting of that clock, the beginning of those seven years. 
The first of those signs is the ruler who will come. Gabriel finishing up his conversation with Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. This time in verse 26 and 27. He says, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue to end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Now that's not, we're talking about the seven. So just as he said, from the proclamation to rebuild Jerusalem, the clock will start. He says, now, when the ruler who will come comes and establishes a covenant with many, that is the beginning of the seven years, the final seven years. Now, theologically, we know that person to be Antichrist. That's the Antichrist emergence into the world. That will mark the beginning of the seven years. The second sign is going to be the outpouring of God's wrath. We are living under the day of God's grace right now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works, any man should boast. Today we live under God's mercy. We live under his blanket of grace. The whole world does. But when these final seven years start, God's going to remove that blanket of grace and he's going to begin to outpour his wrath on the earth. Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, is given a vision of it also. In Isaiah 13, verse 9, he says, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and what? Fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Speaking for God, he says, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. See, God's going to say, okay, enough grace. I've given you enough grace. Now, I, as I've always said from the beginning, I am going to judge sin. I'm going to throw my wrath out on the planet. Isaiah also says in Isaiah 13, verse 6, he says, wail. For the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, says, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. I highlight that last line because there's a connection between what Isaiah hears from God and next what Jesus says about it. When Jesus is here in Matthew 24, he's telling his disciples in that chapter about the end of times, the end of the world. And they're saying, when's it going to be? When's it going to be? What's going to happen? And he says, well, you will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. There'll be famine and earthquakes in various places. Then Jesus says, now listen, he says, all these, the wars, the famines, the earthquakes, are the beginning of what? Birth pains. What did Isaiah say? In that time, they will arrive like a woman in labor. Jesus says, when all this stuff starts to happen, these are just the beginning of birth pains. Paul later amplifies it even more in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, another New Testament book. He says, now brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We don't know the exact time, but God has given us an indication of what we should be looking for. That's what we're talking about right now. But then he goes on to say, well, people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly 
Now look what he says again. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So Isaiah, Jesus, Paul, under the inspiration of God, say, when these seven years start up, they're going to be characterized in the same manner of a woman's labor. Now, how many are moms here? You've given birth. How many know that when the baby's coming, the baby's coming? There's no escaping it. You may cry out for it to stop. You may beat on your husband who caused it, but the baby is coming. And know how it happens. What happens when labor starts? All of a sudden, one day, you know it's kind of the end of the nine month, and you're getting ready, and your due date's coming. All of a sudden, boom. You go, whoa, what was that? And then a little bit later, you go on with your day, boom, boom. You go, whoa. You know? And all of a sudden, what starts happening? You start having contractions. And at first, those contractions are far apart. And they're kind of short. They're just kind of intense. Like a little, Oop. But then what happens? All of a sudden, they come closer together. And as they get closer together, someone told me they get more intense. Is that true? I'm just kidding, ladies. <laughs> I remember the nails dug into my arm. Yes. Yes, I know how that works. Isaiah, Jesus, Paul says that's how this is all going to happen. The whole world's going to kind of go along and say, what was that? Then they'll go on and they'll go, what was that? But as this stuff that we're going to start seeing today unfolds, it's going to be like labor. They're going to be far out in the beginning, then they're going to get closer and closer together, and they're going to get more intense until the world literally goes crazy. All this outpouring of God's wrath is revealed in the book of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Let's see what God is going to do when he starts up those seven years. Revelation 1, now John is kind of like Daniel in the Old Testament. John, one of the original 12 disciples, John, is now on the Isle of Patmos. It's a Roman penal colony. He's been sent there because of preaching the gospel. They want to shut him up. So they send him to this penal colony for hard labor. But God brought him there to give him the revelation so he wouldn't be distracted. So Paul, kind of the same way Daniel, the angel came. Angel comes back, back to John, rather. And now he's telling John about not just how the end of time for Israel will come, but how the end of time for all humanity is going to come. And so that's what's happening. John's giving that testimony. So in Revelation chapter 5, we really get down to the nitty-gritty. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. So at some unknown point, God stands up and he holds up a scroll. And everybody in heaven goes. And they know that that scroll contains how the world's going to end. And they want to see inside. But no one can open it. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth, no one has the authority to open it. And John goes on to say, I wept, and I wept because no one could open the scroll and let us see what was inside it. And so John's weeping as he's experiencing this vision from the angel. And, and then one of the elders said to him, he sees an elder in heaven say, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. Now those are all titles of Messiah. 
That's Jesus he's talking about. He says, he is able to open the scroll and break its seven seals. So God stands up and he holds it. Everyone wants to see inside, but initially no one, no one seems worthy to be. God's not giving it. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes. And God says, you have earned the right to open this. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross willingly for the sins of man. So Jesus now takes that scroll from the Father. And he pops open that first seal. John records it. Revelation 6 verse 1, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come, call John, come, like a voice like thunder. I looked and there was before me a white horse, its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode up as a conqueror bent on conquest. So God unleashes this force into the world. These aren't literal horse, it's a force. He's speaking metaphorically. Now notice that it says the rider's on a white horse. White horse usually means what? A king, a conqueror, peace. It says he has a bow. But what doesn't he have? Arrows. Just has a bow. It says, and he's given a crown. And he goes up to conquer to make conquest. So what, what basically is being described here is this force that God unleashes into the world has a bow but does not use arrows. He does not conquer the world with military might but with charisma, with great diplomacy. This is going to be a world presence, a world diplomat like no one has ever seen before. And the world is going to give him a crown. In other words, they are going to willingly follow him. Why? Because of what's coming. And because he's going to be able to bring it to sense and he's going to be able to bring peace to the earth. Why? Because he's the guy that angel Gabriel told Daniel about. He said the ruler who will come. Now ultimately, this guy's going to be horrible because he's antichrist. But he will establish a covenant with many for one period of seven years. So when this happens, this starts the clock ticking. This is the ruler that will come. Jesus pops the second seal. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! See the drama? This is a very dramatic scene in heaven. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Now, the Antichrist is unleashed into the world. And his power is not the bow. His power is charisma, diplomacy. Now, in order for the world to to be attracted to him, in order for him to consolidate his world leadership, God sends war back into the world on a, on a level that, that has never been experienced before. World War II had a lot of the nations in the world warring against each other, but not all of the nations. This time, all of the nations are going to be warring against each other. God's going to send war around the globe. And it's going to be because of that war and because of Antichrist's ability to ultimately bring a peace to that international war that people are going to readily follow him. Pops the third seal. 
Because of this international, worldwide war, the planet's devastated. I mean, we've all seen the aftermath of war, pictures of the aftermath, buildings, cities bombed out, countrysides burned up. Well, that's what war does. So now, the third seal's pop. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. In other words, now, this seal's popped. And because of the, of, the, of the devastation that has been caused around the planet by war, there's a great famine. And the famine is so bad that God now is the one who cries out from the, from the living creatures, says that in order to get just a quart of wheat, it's going to take you an entire day's wages. That's just barely, barely enough to feed one person. That's why God goes on to say and reveals that three quarts of barley's will cost a day's wage. Now, barley is inferior to wheat. It's inferior nutritionally, and it's inferior in, in, the, in the, the food that it makes. But those who have to support a family are going to have to buy the barley. In, in, in biblical times, barley was what was given to animals. That was their feed. And so now... Because of the famine, humankind has been reduced to not eating what they would like to eat, bread, but now they're eating what animals normally feed on. And he says, and be careful about the water or the oil and the wine. In other words, he's saying, you be careful about your cooking stuff. I, I think when I, when, I, when I read this passage and when I studied, I thought of myself over the stove and, and taking wonderful olive oil and just coating the pan with it and then frying some chicken up in it or something like that. Well, in this day, you're not going to be able to do that. Oil and wine that you cook with are going to be so scarce that you better be really careful when and how much you use. Pops open the fourth seal. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, working again, consolidating, working together, these four horsemen, these four forces that God pours out on the earth. One is the charismatic leader, but the next three are all forces that bring increasing destruction on humanity. And it says they, they were given the authority over a fourth of the earth. That means they kill one quarter of the world's population. This is just the opening stages. This is the opening stages of the labor of the birth pains. The world's population today is 7 billion people. That means that just after this, this first little introduction here, 1.75 billion people will die of war, of famine, and of plague. And then he throws in, and by the wild beasts of the earth. See, because the food supply is going to get so scarce that humanity is going to be in the food chain of animals now. You're not going to be able to afford to feed Fido anymore. Fido's going to be roaming the streets, but Fido's going to get up with some other dogs and other animals. And we're going to have to be watching out because people will be killed by these roving bands of dogs 
rat population will increase. Animals will be coming down out of their, their natural places into the more civilized areas and turning on humankind. And this is just the beginning. When he opened his fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? These are people, now during this time, who are going to be martyred for their faith. God says, be patient. Each of them was given a robe of white, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were killed, as they had been, was completed, because it's not over yet. Now, if we would look at chapter 7 of Revelation, we don't have time to do it today. We would see that at some point, God sends angels, four angels out to the corners of the earth, and he stops all the chaos momentarily. And he does that to collect 144,000 Jews who are alive on the earth at that time. Remember, he's turning back now to his attention to the Jewish nation. And scripture says that he seals, he puts a seal on these 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, you know, today, if you talk to Israel, anyone in Israel and the rabbis and all, they say, man, we've long ago lost the genealogical records of who belongs to what tribe. God hasn't lost the records. He knows exactly every Jew and what tribe they're in. And he's going to seal 12,000 from each tribe. 12 tribes, and that's going to bring 144,000. Who are they going to be? They're going to be now his witnesses. They're going to come to the realization that Jesus was the Messiah. And now they're going to be God's witnesses during all this chaos. And God's going to put a seal on them, but they will be martyred for their faith. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the moon turned blood red, and the stars in the Greek asterisks in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when suddenly shaken by a strong storm. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now God's getting personal. Think about it. Up to this time with all the other seals, war, well, we've always had war. We have war now. Famine, well, we, there's famine on the earth now. Plagues, there's plagues. All these things, we could say, man, this is a horrible time. What's going on? But now, God is bringing manifestations of his wrath on the earth that are not in any way going to be able to be rationalized by just the natural cause of events. Now God sends an earthquake that is so strong that every mountain and every island is shaken and moved from its previous geographical place on the planet. When that happens, undoubtedly, volcanoes are some of those mountains. Those volcanoes are going to spontaneously erupt all over the earth, spewing debris into the atmosphere that undoubtedly are going to darken the atmosphere. They'll hide the sun. They'll hide the stars. They'll hide the moon. And in the midst of that, not only is God going to shake the earth like that, but he's going to shake the heavens. And now the earth is going to be struck by meteor showers as meteors pummel the earth as he begins pouring again out his wrath. He calls the angels back. He's sealed the 144,000. Now his wrath begins again. Talk about a hyper eruption that we talked about in the histories channels. 
That was one eruption. This is worldwide eruptions of volcanoes caused by the most massive earthquake ever, never imagined. Here's how the earth responds, Revelation 6.15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Now they get it. Now they understand that this just isn't happening. Now they understand that God is pouring out his wrath. And, and now they're hiding and they're crying for the caves and the, the mountains to collapse on the cave in and kill them and relieve them from the horrors that they're experiencing. But remember what Revelation 9, 6 said? They'll cry out to die, but they, they won't because they're left there to suffer. Revelation 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Finally, Jesus pops that final seal, that seventh seal. And all of heaven is stunned in the silence. Now, undoubtedly, they're stunned by what they're witnessing. But beyond that, it says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now here, this horrible time is happening, and all this destruction, and plagues, and and, and, and wars and, and, and asteroid strikes and meteor strikes and earthquakes and mountains being moved and islands being moved from their geographical... I mean, all this horrible stuff. At least 1.75 billion people died. And that was just in the beginning. There's probably many more who have died with these subsequent sealed judgments. And finally, they're probably thinking at that, that last seal, that sixth seal, saying, oh my God, all right, it's over. But they're horrified to learn that it's only beginning. Because now, with the seventh seal popped, now they see that God gives second, seven trumpets to angels. And now the trumpet wraths of God are going to be poured out on the planet. Revelation 8, 3 through 5 describes the scene in heaven. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. They're worshiping him. They're worshiping God. They see his majesty. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes, and lightning, and an earthquake. All right, so this is the scene that, that precipitates that seventh seal, or the first trumpet sounding. The angel, God commands an angel to take the burning incense and, and, and the, the fire from the altar and throw it down on the earth. And that's what we see as the first trumpet opens up. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down on the earth. Here's the, what happened. The, a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. As the angel hurls this, this container of incense and fire down on the earth, a third of all the vegetation is burned up on planet earth. All the green grass that cattle feed on, that sheep feed on, that goat feed on, that other animals feed on, that we feed on them, 
And so the food supply, already scarce, is becoming even more scarce, more depleted. Second trumpet sounds. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now another asteroid is sent down from God and hits the oceans and it kills, it destroys a third of all the marine creatures. Now there's hardly any vegetation left on the planet to eat from there. But at least we had fish. We could eat fish, right? Not anymore. Because a third of the marine life is now destroyed. And a third of the ships that transport life-saving medical supplies and food, fresh water to other places around the earth, now a third of the whole nation's navies is destroyed. Talk about one killer asteroid in the History Channel's episode. The reality is not going to be one. There's going to be multiple asteroid strikes, multiple meteor strikes. The earth is going to be pummeled with debris coming from space and hitting the earth. Third trumpet sounds. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch. Here's another one. Fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. That's what the wormwood is. It's a plague. It's a poisoning of the fresh water supply. I mean, right now on planet Earth, there is a crisis of fresh water. We here at the bridge, we've raised money and sent it to different countries to help build fresh water wells so that people could actually have healthy water to drink. But now, look what happens. A third of all the waters turned bitter on planet Earth. There's no water. I mean, you got up this morning, you probably took a nice shower and, and sit under that shower and let that hot water just come on you and you were just enjoying, not anymore. You don't be taking no more showers. Don't be taking more baths. Be lucky to have water to drink and water to cook with. Fourth trumpet sounds. A fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, a third of the stars. So that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. Now, not just debris in the atmosphere. Now God actually strikes the sun and he strikes the moon and he strikes the stars and plunges the world into extended darkness. 16 hours of darkness now in a day and only eight hours of light. Just imagine what that's going to do. The temperatures around the earth are going to plummet. Those in the cold areas, the northern hemispheres, they are going to be living in sub-zero weather because there's only eight hours of sun to warm the planet. Harbors are going to freeze over. There's no longer going to be able to have transport on the seas anymore. Those who are living in the south who are used to nice, warm, balmy weather are going to now experience cold weather. Those in the north will have a mass migration. Those who are alive still on the planet will migrate to the south. They'll have migration issues like never before with scarce food supplies and water supplies and medical supplies. Revelation 8.13 says, I watched... I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. God sends a declaration around the planet. And a voice cries out, Woe, woe. 
to you poor survivors, those of you who have made it this far, woe to you. Why? Because of the trumpet blasts that are yet to be sounded. Remember Isaiah said that these times would create a population, a culture, who would writhe like a woman in labor? Well, now we're hitting the transition stage of labor. When those contractions are rapid and when their intensity keeps peaking higher and higher and higher, that's where the world is. And the angel cries out, the, the eagle cries out, whoa, whoa, to the inhabitants of the earth. He says, you haven't seen nothing yet. You've only begun to feel the birth pains of the wrath of God. What's that next trumpet? What's those next three trumpets? See you next week. Father, we come to you in awe of who you really are. And God, maybe we'd be reminded that we live in this amazing time of your grace. And it's so easy for us because of your grace. Honestly, God, speaking to view you as just some kind of really friendly white-haired grandpa in the sky who just loves us, and you do. But yet you're a God of justice. And you have consistently said in your word, that a time's coming when you're going to pour your wrath out on sin and sinners. And you, give, you gave John a glimpse of what that's going to look like, and we can, we can learn from it. God, may that move us to have compassion for those who are still unbelievers, who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. God, we, may we be reminded that horrible times are coming. And those who are living on this planet during that time, untold death, untold suffering. Those who die in the first part of it are the lucky ones. But God, we know that it's all part of truly bringing peace everlasting to the universe. And we thank you for it. Now, Lord, help us to be lights of biblical truth in this dark world. And as people, we hear conversations and maybe our friends talking about some movie about the end times, and we, we, we can jump in and say, let, let, me, let me get a Bible. Let me show you how this is really going to happen. And Lord, prayerfully, their hearts will be moved by the Holy Spirit. And their pride will, will diminish and their desire to humble themselves before you, God, and receive Christ as your Savior will manifest itself. Help us to be your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to tell you, you don't want to be living on this planet when this happens. Now, those who are, it's just going to happen. They're not going to get to pick and choose. But here's the good news. You don't got to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it. Why? Because... God has made provision for his own children. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Paul says in Romans 10.9, 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? And even worse. If you're here today and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. You're here today and maybe you, you, you don't even understand what this trust in Jesus as your Savior thing is about. Well, I just told you, by the way, it's confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. God didn't make it hard because this is a time of grace and he just wants to give it to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. Don't leave this campus wondering about what's going to happen to you, wondering whether you're going to have to face this stuff. Come and see me, any of the pastors in these purple shirts, go to the next step booth, or at least stop by the guest services booth or one of our literature racks and pick up one of these blue books that says, you can be sure. It'll walk you through what God has revealed in Scripture about how you can know your sins are forgiven, how you can know that heaven will be your home. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to come back and pick up with those final three trumpets. And I wish I could tell you those were the end of it, but they're not. In the meantime, let's be reminded, this world's not our home. We're living life for what's to come. Let's try to do that this week. And let's live life loving those who don't understand that yet. Amen?